I know you are all waiting for some alternative punk rock from 1987. Let's hear it. It actually wasn't quite as loud as I wanted it. So can we try that again? No, just kidding. There are two relevant messages to the chorus of that song. Raise your hand if you feel like it's the end of the world as we know it. Raise your hand if I feel fine. Amen. I have a goal in this series. I have a goal in this series. I have one goal as I'm doing this brief series on who should I vote for? It's to instill in your hearts the absolute loving sovereignty of the great God who is Lord of Lords and Presidents of Presidents so that you will not fear. Amen. If you get that, you can have the next four weeks off Sunday night. Go home. <laughs> Lord Almighty, thank you that my friends won't go home. Your Majesty, King of kings and Lord of lords and President of presidents, we humble ourselves before You. And so much of what we have held dear is gone irreversibly gone from this particular culture. Lord, God the Son, Jesus Christ, who is going to be honored above all things and Your holiness will be as visible as the oceans. God the Spirit, the one who still controls all things and holds us together. We come before the triune, almighty, personal creator, God of the universe, and ask that you would be here among us and you would assist our hearts. You would equip our hearts. You would enable our hearts to hear the good news of Jesus Christ that we have nothing to fear. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing in this world. Amen. The most important thing to happen in 2016 is not the presidential elections on November 8th. The most important thing to happen in the year of our Lord 2016 is the same thing as the most important thing that happened in the year of our Lord 2015 and the 2014 years before that. Our God reigns as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the President of presidents. You, my friends, you who trust the promises of God for you in Christ have nothing, nothing, Nothing to fear. 
And Your Lord of Lords reigns over every square inch of creation. As we were reminded last week, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence. Not what we have for dinner. Not what kind of shoes we wear. Not who gets elected president. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our measly little puny human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not call mine. Now we all wish that that Prime Minister were our future President, but that's another thing. And still we remain in these bodies. Still we remain in the houses that we live in. And so we want to know, who do I vote for? Who, who, how do I navigate these waters in which I live? Now I repeat this opening from last week because I want to reiterate the strong affirmation. I want to reiterate the firm confidence that you and I must continue to fight. We must continue to fight to maintain in our own hearts the reality that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the President of Presidents. We must fight to maintain this strong confidence in the truth that no Congress can legislate Against that, no Supreme Court can turn down. There is no president who can use his pen to take away the fact that Jesus Christ is sovereign over all. And yet, you and I remain subject to Satan, we remain subject to this finite, fallible, sinful flesh. And in fact, we remain influenced by the world every single moment of every single day. You must and I must not forget, as we reminded ourselves last week, that it was the personal Creator God who sent the children of the patriarchs into Babylon into a far worse political situation than Washington or Sacramento can dream up. And it was the President of Presidents who commanded those very refugees to seek the welfare of Babylon. And He continues to cry through the weeping prophet to you to seek the welfare of Santa Maria, California. Now this is the first and foremost principle. This, this is what we must do. Once we have in our mind the absolute sovereignty of God and we derive from that hope, we derive from that trust in God's promises, then we must live. And we must live in such a way that people can see our hope by the fact that we are living to seek the welfare of Santa Maria, California. That is what we must do. We must trust in the fact that Jesus continues to be Lord of Lords and President of Presidents over elections. Because when we do, then our attitudes will reflect this hope and we won't allow emails and gropings and new news today and new news tomorrow to make us lose our cool. 
Because my friends, one fact can stay in your heart right now. And that is, in our future, for as long as there is a future, our future is nothing but grace. And I'm going to continue to remind us of this the next three or four weeks. And I'm going to find a different verse each time. Last week, Romans 8.28. This time we're moving up a little bit in the world. He who did not spare His own Son but graciously gave Him up for us all. How will He not also along with Him give us all things? You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear from your bank accounts going dry. You have nothing to fear from your heart melting within your chest. You have nothing to fear from some criminal getting into the Oval Office. You have nothing to fear. Because Your future, for those of us who are in Christ, is nothing but grace. And you can rejoice because the most comprehensive promise in the Bible for your future good is based upon not on God's grace, not on who you vote for. And tonight we take the next step in our march towards the election so that we can be reminded of an ages-old paradox the Christian must at the same time be subject and live free. Let's just look at one of the statements of this truth in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13-17. to Peter writes to us, Be subject to the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by so doing you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear the Lord. And honor the emperor. Bless you. Now, Luther caught this truth, and in his inimical way, he gave us this paradox in an easy-to-remember fashion. A Christian is the most free Lord of all and subject to none, and a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to everyone. Luther preached a sermon in 1520 called On Christian Freedom. And in it, he emphasized our freedom from the terror. Our freedom from the fear of both damnation and tribulation. And he preached this sermon so that we would not have this fear based upon the Word of God working in the hearts of His trusting people. Now, in this same sermon. He also emphasized the servitude that we as Christians must have for the sake of not only disciplining our own body, but also for the sake of those who have not yet been freed from the fear of damnation and tribulation. So he emphasized this reality of being free from the fear of damnation and tribulation, and living in such a way that others could also be freed from these same fears. We are both absolutely free, and we are absolutely to live in the service of those who need us. 
Now we shall begin tonight looking at a message, well, not looking, but this message written in 1520 is very relevant to those of us who are coming hard upon 2020. And we get this from our passage. Let me read again 13 to 15. Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is to the emperor supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now first, let's look at this necessity of being subject. Peter commands us to be subject for the Lord's sake. What we need to draw from this immediately is that what's important is God's command, not Caesar's. It's for the Lord's sake, not for Caesar's. And what is important here is His Lord Majesty, His Majesty Lord Jesus' glory, not Uncle Sam's. And at the same time, while we are pursuing His Majesty Lord Jesus' glory, and while we are obeying His commands, Uncle Sam's demands, when not contrary to His Majesty Lord Jesus, must carry weight. We still live in Uncle Sam's territory. And he says here, be subject to every human institution. We not only must be responsible United States citizens, we also have to deal with this command to obey Uncle Sam's lawful orders. Unless, of course, you don't. And if you don't, that is called civil disobedience. Civil disobedience is the breaking of a duly ratified law that you believe is immoral and that you are also willing to accept the consequences for law breaking because you believe that there is another lawgiver whose laws rise above those that are duly enacted in your country or wherever you are. Civil disobedience means you consciously break a law willing to take the consequences because you know that there's someone who's more important who's telling you to. And Peter gives us a very practical reason why we shouldn't, why we should obey the law, why we should live in such a way that people see us submitting and for submitting for a greater reason than simply because there's a car with red and blue lights on top behind us. We submit because we want people to see that Jesus' sake, His glory is worth honoring more than my inconvenience at driving too slow quote-unquote, on the freeway or lining my pockets with Lying tax returns. I believe that Jesus' honor is worth more than a few hundred dollars, don't you? But it's easy to lose sight of that in our daily activity when we're just kind of skating through. 
We need to keep that at the forefront. If you are going to break one of Uncle Sam's laws, you must, as a Christian, know what you're doing and you must be willing to accept the consequences for doing it or don't. Because this is Jesus' glory at stake, not just yours. When your neighbor sees you with a positive attitude or at least one that is not full of gall towards your government, then they will know that you have a different set of values. And whether they agree with those values or not, the King of Kings and the President of Presidents will be honored. Because Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the President of Presidents. Amen? We do, after all, remain citizens of both kingdoms. As long as we are citizens of each, we have certain privileges and responsibilities. But it's more than that. Because this King of Kings, because this President of Presidents takes it even a step further than his disciple Peter does, he says in Matthew chapter 5, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. And if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Man, we hate that passage. Just skip over the Sermon on the Mount and get on to the easy stuff. One of my commentators explained this well. He said the governing idea is that when you have been compelled to submit, you should openly show that you are still free to choose by engaging in more of the same service willingly and on your own initiative. When you are forced to submit by the government, you should show that your allegiance calls you to be a bigger man or woman even than they're asking you to be. Because you have a trust in the Savior who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings and Presidents of Presidents. Now let's get real on this one. Let's Let's talk about this. You and I must submit to a good number of things all the time. Using only so much water on your lawn. Driving a prescribed speed and direction. Voting for someone you find deplorable. Yeah, I wanted to laugh for that one. Thank you. A little courtesy laugh coming my way would be just fine. Thanks. Then you have to ask yourself, how you doing in that? How's that working for you? Are you... Excuse me. Are you willing to go two miles instead of one? Are you willing to give up your coat as well as your shirt? Are you submitting to the Lord's for the Lord's sake, or because, like I said a moment ago, you see a car with red and blue lights on it? The second mile in this case might be for you praying for and wishing your political enemy well. Asking God to bless him or her. Asking the Lord to bless him or her with extra grace and clarity of thought and strength. Because whatever you think of the president, that's a hard job. I don't want it. And then, 
as you're doing this second mile, as you're praying for your leaders and wishing them well, praying for God to bless them, tell others you're doing it. Perhaps taking time when you pray in front of people to pray specifically for your political leaders. Do you ever go sit at lunch after church on Sunday? Pray out loud that God would bless Barack Obama. You're commanded to. Furthermore, oh, you're not earning browning points in heaven, by the way, when you go this second mile. But you will strengthen your own heart because you're teaching your heart to do what is right. You will strengthen your other believers' hearts that are around you because they may need to be encouraged to do what is right. And you will strengthen the non-believers' vision of what it means to live under the true president of presidents. And furthermore, furthermore, Paul gives us a very specific command. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Anybody feel like we're living that right now? <laughs> among, whom, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. As this nation gets darker, you have the opportunity to shine brighter. Sometimes, submission will look different than others. You can rip out your grass if you don't want to pay for the extra water. You can treat the officer with respect and pay for your ticket. You can always write in the candidate But both Peter and Jesus exhort us to submit in a way that people will recognize that you have a different source. You have a different well. You have a living well. A river of life flowing within you that is your source of satisfaction more than everyone who watches their favorite fantasy TV show every night on CNN or MSNBC or ABC News. You, tonight, can learn to be subject and as you do, live free. Be subject, live free. A Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. So we've seen a little bit about living as subject for the Lord's sake, let's see what Peter says about living free. Starting in verse 16, Peter says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the emperor. Peter, I think, wisely, of course, it's Scripture, right? Peter, I think, wisely began with the idea of submission. Submit? What? Forget that stuff. I don't want to submit. I'm going to fold my arms and I'm going to stand here like this. Our subjection is so that the foolishness of ignorant people may be silenced. There are a lot 
the foolish and ignorant people who are talking bad about you as the fact that you belong to Christ. And I'm going to tell you a secret. Okay, you're not allowed to tell anybody this. It's going to get worse. But you can live in such a way that your own fears of damnation and your own fears of tribulation can melt away like snow in August. And you can live in such a way that your neighbors who have this same fear of damnation and tribulation can also melt away as they see you living as lights shining in the universe because you are holding fast to the Word of life. Here, Peter commands you and me to live free. Now, much is made these days about living free. They say men have to have beards and women have to have underarm hair and that's living free. (laughs) We see it all over the place where we like to take pictures of ourselves in Yosemite, but we don't take a picture of the nice cabin with air conditioning that's sitting on the valley floor that we're staying in Yosemite at. That's not the kind of living free we're talking about here. You and I need to take a moment to talk about the difference between liberty and license. What is the difference between true freedom and being fettered to our own flavor of slavery? Is the man truly free who legally smokes pot on the corner and then cannot let go of the pipe? Is that freedom? Is the woman free who can have every man she wants, but then she finds no men worth wanting? Is that freedom? Don't hearken to the false sirens of freedoms that are truly cover-ups for evil. And these siren calls to the destruction on the shoals of fleshly desires is what our culture is all about. Obey your thirst. Image is everything. But unfortunately, the church has fallen into the same trap. And the overwhelming majority of American evangelicals, both on the left and on the right, fret about our own comfort and peace and, and what we're going to have for lunch. When what the world needs now is not some new special interest group clamoring for its right to protest. What the world needs most right now is the church laying down its supposed rights in the interests of the souls of the men and women who are around us in Santa Maria, California. They need to see us as a church that is making a difference for them. And you know what? It's going to take time It's going to take money and it's going to take effort. You know what else? It's going to take blood, sweat, and tears. Because if the world was in a bad place when when, when, um, Churchill said that, we are in a worse place today. We are in a much worse place today. Because bombs are still falling all over the world. 
that spiritual bombs are falling in your houses. Your. In my houses. Oh, how we have turned this idea of freedom upside down. And it's more the shame to us who call America our home because as a nation we should have known better. We were founded on men and women who knew the difference between liberty and license and we so gleefully forgot it. But let's gain a little clarity. Freedom is not doing what you want to do. Freedom is doing what you want to do when what you want is what is best. Freedom is not doing what you want to do. Freedom is doing what you want to do when what you want to do is what is best. Many times in this life, if you are truly free, you will give. You will serve. You will do not what you want to do to feed your own desires, but you will lay down your life for whomever it is nearest you. And that can be painful. But everything that you want can be found only outside of your comfort zone. So be willing to go outside of your comfort zone. If what I want clutters my life so that my neighbor, or worse than that, if whatever I want clutters my life so that my own family sees my, de my devotion to stuff and circumstances and relationships obscures my devotion to Christ, then my values are out of whack. And they make me no better than my neighbor non-believer. In fact, might make me worse. Allow your mind and heart to be filled with God's Word. That is the only prescription from Dr. Jesus. Then you will be washed continually by what is best. And then you'll desire it. You'll desire it for yourself. You'll desire it for your loved ones. You'll desire it for your neighbors. Because usually those are not the same. Then whatever things you're interested in, whatever circumstances you labor to create, whatever relationships you put yourself to death to cultivate, in those, you'll be free. Because you will truly value what is valuable. And while you're doing these things, you're, you will still do them, but you will look and you will see that which is the good, the true, and the beautiful. When those nearest me see my interest in things can take a backseat to their good, then I will be plainly seen as one who is living, not living the American nightmare, but living the kingdom-centered vision of a joyful life. Now Paul, also wrote about this reality. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. 
Pastor John Brown said this, the only true liberty of which a dependent being like man is capable is the free use of his faculties in the service of God. How do we serve God? By serving our neighbor. By serving our loved ones. By serving those near us. Here, my beloved, is where true freedom lies. Nobel laureate Bob Dylan caught this truth because he's saying you got to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. True freedom lies in serving the right somebody. Now, one of the fears of those of us who preach on a regular basis well, you can ask these guys afterwards if I'm right. One of my fears is that I take my passage, whatever it is I'm looking at, and I kind of shoehorn my application in, and I, I kind of try to make it fit what I want it to fit. And, you know, in, when you're doing one of these series that's, that's more topical in orientation, that's an easy trap to fall into. And I might say that I'm shoehorning this passage into our current election cycle. But it seems to me that this election cycle, or more specifically, the fearful hearts of those who are worried about our leaders, seems to be exactly what God the Spirit has in mind when He's teaching this passage. Because He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Not voting for whoever will give you the most pocket change or the most liberal, progressive ideas on marriage and gender issues. But that we would honor everyone. We would be, that we would be living as servants of God. That we would honor everyone. That we would love the brotherhood. That we would fear God. That we would honor the emperor. Clearly, Peter has in mind cultural political leadership. And if that is a stretch to you, Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, four different words for praying, be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing to God our Savior who remains, no matter who is elected, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the President of presidents. And notice that neither Peter nor Paul is at all concerned with who the emperor is. There is no condition on the moral fiber of the candidate or president. There is simply the command to pray. Do you pray regularly, sacrificially for those in political leadership over you? Donna and I, at an early point in our marriage, saw a counselor in one of the most important things this counselor said to me is you can't pray for someone and sin against them at the same time. You cannot pray for someone and sin against them 
at the same time. Rather than fretting and fuming and causing our freedom to be fetters to the cultural slavery that is rampant among us today, abandon the lies and cling to the way, the truth, and the life. Pray for your leaders. Make a list of people that you'd like to see come to Jesus. Pray about key measures that you will be voting on November 8th. There is a ton of them this time. Above all, trust that God's command that you pray will be greeted with joy by the one who commanded you to pray. And now, you haven't preached until you've preached Christ. Where does Christ fit in this? Where does the King of Kings and the President of Presidents fit in this conversation? One among the many ways that He fits like perfectly here as he tells us, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Jesus has set you free. Jesus has set you free from sin. Jesus has set you free from the fear of damnation. Jesus has set you free from the fear of tribulation. Thank you, Martin Luther, for reminding me of that this week as I was sitting at my table Thursday night. And I want to give one of my favorite songs. And Stephen Curtis Chapman puts it very well. I won't sing, I promise. Oh, we're free. We have been forgiven. Where does he start? Where does he start his exclamation about being free? I'm forgiven. God's grace has broken every chain and given us these wings. We are free. And the freedom we have been given, catch this, don't miss this. The freedom we've been given is something that not even death can take away from you and me. We are free. We are free because the Son has set us free. Is what you're trusting in something that death can take away from you? Is whatever you're hoping in something that the grave will cover over? If it is, it's worthless. Get rid of it. It's not your foundation of hope. Are you hoping for something or someone that can give you joy when you die and can give you joy between now and then? Listen, I am preaching to myself right now. You can have my gun when you pry it for my cold, dead fingers. Well, you know what? They can make my fingers cold and dead. Gun is not my hope. Toys are not my hope. Sex is not my hope. My hope is found in nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. As we heard this morning, there is no test for salvation. If there were, we would all fail. Instead, there is freedom. So live as those who are already free from the worst possible circumstance possible 
a situation that is infinitely worse than if the worst candidate were elected to every position in the nation. And understanding that will give you a joy that will help those around you have joy. On the other hand, have you indulged too much already in the current maelstrom of race baiting and fear mongering and drum beating? If you have, if you have already succumbed to that, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Live, therefore, as those who are free. Lord Almighty, we live in difficult times. We live in times that make the most courageous of us quake at our knees. And we confess that You are King of kings and Lord of lords. Give us grace to know Your strength, to know Your grace, so that we will be free and we will live free indeed. In Jesus' name, Amen.